find our way to Philippians chapter 4. I do hope you believe that, that Jesus is all to us. And that will make a difference, too, in what we're going to be talking about this morning from Philippians chapter 4. This is the final installment of Philippians for us. We're going to finish out uh, the passage. It took us about a year or so to get through this, and uh, it's truly been a joy to walk through the book of Philippians. And I think it's been good for us as a church as well to walk through the book of Philippians. Especially that's what I was thinking about as we're planning this out for the the first year of of going through without a senior pastor. Uh, This is an incredibly encouraging book of the Bible to walk through, to remind us of really what we truly need to be as a church as we look at God's blueprints for his church. Um, What do we need most of all? And as we've been reminded over and over again, as uh, even without a senior pastor, the thing that we need most of all is not to have a new senior pastor. What we need is we found in Scripture. We need to, to not be anxious about anything, but we need to pray. We've learned about how we need as a church to prefer one another, to have the mind of Christ, to be unified together. There's so many things in Scripture that we saw, in, especially in this book of Philippians, that we need to be as a church, and I hope it's been an encouragement to you. We're going to backtrack a little bit to verse 10, but our focus is going to be on verse 14 through the end of the chapter. But we're going to backtrack to verse 10, because remember last time uh, when I spoke, it was a while ago, when we talked about uh, Paul's contentment that he found, that it was just a small but wonderful golden nugget of truth in the midst of him thanking the Philippians for their gift. And so we're going to see this morning, we're going to learn about, and we're going to talk about giving and generosity. Now, it seems that we don't often talk about giving, uh, maybe in the church, maybe just in your personal lives. We, we don't really talk about money because it's kind of an awkward thing to be talking about. It might even be awkward for the pastor uh, to be talking about giving as well. But as I was studying out this passage, I found so many verses in the Bible that talk about money, that talk about giving. There's so many that I couldn't even use this morning, otherwise we'd be going an extra hour longer to try to talk about all these verses. Jesus even talked a lot about money. Jesus talked about giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, how you can't serve both God and money, overturning the tables of the money changers, storing up treasure on earth versus in heaven, and there's so much more. So we should actually be more concerned as a church if we don't talk about money, if we don't talk about giving, because the Bible is just filled with so many passages about it. If we never talked about it at all, we would be doing the Word of God a very big disservice. So in Philippians 4, let's look at verse 10. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. 
Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again, once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this passage. We pray that it challenges our hearts, that it uh, convicts us maybe of selfishness or greed. It challenges us to be giving to one another, giving to the work of the ministry. And we pray that you'll just help us and just not to rely just upon our finances or what we have, but just to rely upon you and to put our trust in you with everything. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look down at verses 21 through 23 just uh, quickly. I'm not going to be able to talk a lot about this this morning as we're finishing up the chapter, but just looking at these last few verses, it's not the thrust of what we're going to be talking about, but I do want to uh, address them. And so as we look at Paul closing out his letter, he's encouraging them with the greetings of many saints um, that as we're going to see in the passage, many of the saints who heard the gospel because of the Philippians' gift to Paul. He provided for him so that he could go out and share the gospel with so many. And so he's sharing them with all these believers who have come to know Christ. He's saying they're all greeting you. They're all sending their thanks back to you as a Philippian church for the gifts that you were able to provide for even, for even Paul. And he says especially those of Caesar's household. What an encouraging thing that would be with a pagan Caesar, pagan ruler who doesn't love Jesus at all, that the gospel is influencing Caesar's household. The gospel is even uh, having an effect in a place that nobody would even expect the gospel to take hold. He was like, oh, maybe they're too far gone. That's just too wicked of a place. He's saying, no, there's people in Caesar's household, brothers and sisters in Christ, saints who want to greet you as well. And Philippi being a a Roman uh, city, that that is one of the things that, that would really stand out to them as well and be encouraged by. And then he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We know Paul's not with them anymore. He loves them. They have a deep connection. And he closes out by saying, he, he doesn't say, just my thoughts are with you. Or, or I will just hold me in your hearts until I might come back and be with you again. No, he's, he reminds them, it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that's with you. That's your greatest encouragement. That's your greatest hope. Not for me to be back with you again. Well, that would be nice. He's saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So as we talk about that, think of this love that this pastor has for his church, the church, the the love that they have for the pastor. We're going to look here at our big idea for this morning. We must give because we are Christians who believe the gospel. It's kind of a nutshell, kind of a, a big overview, believing the gospel and what all of that means. But we need to understand that if you truly believe the gospel, then you're going to be a giver. We're going to look at communion uh, later on this morning. And we see, what did Jesus do? He gave. 
He gave. So if you believe that the gospel can work, if you believe that Jesus is still saving people, then you're going to give to that effort to see people go out and share Christ. That's why our part, uh, first point for this morning is to give partnering yourself with gospel ministry. And when I speak of gospel ministry, I want us to be thinking of the endeavors that are on behalf of gospel, the preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, of sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth. We just had the Barhams here uh, from Samaria. We've had many missionaries come throughout this last year sharing Christ. And so we partner with them to bring the gospel because we believe the gospel works. We believe that the gospel saves. So that's why we invest, um, not just in our prayers, but financially with them to provide a way for them to go and share that good news. But we also are talking not just about the missionaries across the world, we want to talk about the missionaries right here in Southeast Iowa, the mission field that we have as a church, giving to this gospel work so that people can come to know Christ, so that people can be discipled and hear the gospel and grow in their love for the gospel. So in verse 14, it says, It was kind of you to share in my trouble. He says, Yet it was kind. Talking about him being content, now talking about how they are giving. So this partnership that the Philippians have with Paul is this word koinonia, uh, this root word that's talking about, he talked about in verse, chapter 1, verse 5, when he said, You are part- partners with me in the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, You are partakers with me of grace. And now we see him using this word, saying that you are sharing with me in these troubles for the gospel. It's that same root word that even talks about in chapter 3, when he says, I want to share in Christ's sufferings. I want to share. I want to partner in. I want to have fellowship in with the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 15, we see that no one else partnered with Paul. As Paul ministered the gospel in Macedonia, there were other churches there that said, nope, I don't want to partner with you. Can you believe that? That there would be churches out there that wouldn't want to partner with Paul that would say, I don't really have anything to give. I can't share this with you. I'm not going to help you out. But it says it was you only. No church entered into partnership. This sharing of my troubles, giving and receiving, except you only. This is why the Philippian church is such a standout church. This is why it's remarkable that they gave so much. And by the Philippians supporting him, they not only supported him um, just financially, but through their prayers as well, but their sharing in of troubles was different than Paul's. Their troubles that they shared in, their sufferings came financially, while Paul's sufferings came physically. Paul says this of the Philippian church. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, I robbed from other churches like the Philippians by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia, those Philippians, they supplied my need. What a tremendous blessing it probably was for the Corinthians to know they didn't have to physically support and financially support Paul. He said, other people were supporting me so that I wasn't a burden to you. 
And that's what we do with our missionaries, right? We are financially supporting them so that as they church plant, that they aren't a burden to the people who are there as they're trying to raise up more gospel-preaching churches. What a wonderful thing it is. In the, one of the commentaries I was reading, they said this. They said, if you aren't giving, you aren't a partner. You're more like a consumer or a customer. But Paul doesn't view the Philippians as customers. He views them as co-laborers. Now, would you agree that you have different expectations when you go to Pizza Ranch and Walmart than when you do when you come to church? Hopefully, there's different expectations that you have when you go and give up your time at those stores and you spend your money. uh, You're expecting to get something immediately in return, right? You're not going and spending your money and saying, well, whatever you want to give me back, whatever you think is fine. Just, I'm just gonna, no, we buy products that we think it's worth those things, that amount of money, and so then we get it for ourselves. When you give and invest in the church, you're not doing that just so that what you can get in return. You're not saying, I'm going to put this in the offering plate thinking I'm going to get this back eventually. This is going to come back to me at some point. When we give of our time and our efforts for the local church, it's for this gospel ministry that we're giving. It's not for us to get back in return. It's to see Christ be made known and to to lift up his name here in southeast Iowa and also across the world. Why did the Philippians give to Paul? It's because they loved their pastor. Because they wanted to see their pastor, uh, see his needs met and more. Now, we have a great example of that in our church. Now, a couple weeks ago, we had Dan Witcher come and speak. How many of you remember when Dan Witcher was pastoring here? Okay, so a number of you remember that. And I wasn't here when he was our pastor, but I, I can't imagine what it would have been like when Dan Witcher gets in front, their pa- our pastor gets in front and says, God is calling me into the mission field. That would be a tough thing for a church, right? To give up their pastor, to go to mission somewhere else. But this church, because of the love that they have, the love that we have for Dan, at that point in time, they said, they didn't just say, well, good riddance, see you later, you're not going to do anything for us anymore. We partnered with him. We said, we are going to financially support you. We're going to pray for you in the ministry God has. And we support him more than any other missionary that we have, by far. And the reason that we do that is because we love him. Because of the ministry that he's had to this church. The impact he's had on us. So we support him. We give to him. And we love him that much more because he came from us. And we want to support the work of the ministry. We want to support gospel, preaching, people going out and sharing Christ. Now it's necessary for the work of the ministry to have these financial resources. It's not on God's side. On God's point of view, he's not waiting around like, Oh man, if they just give a hundred more dollars, then I can work in their lives. That's not from God's perspective. But from ours, we have to give financial support. There's a missionary, Amy Carmichael. Spent a time for 55 years or so ministry in India uh, in the early 1900s. She said this, she said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. How can we say that we truly love this gospel work, that we love, truly love these missionaries or whoever without giving to it? What a sacrifice the Philippians went to, to give to Paul, to share with what they had, to give things away, a sacrifice it truly was. And then you give with a heart that pleases God. 
We skipped over verse 17 for a reason. We'll come back to it in a second. I want us to focus on how we are to give, how we are to look at our actions, how we are to look at the heart that pleases God that is giving. Now Paul is relating this verse in verse 18. We see this sacrifice, this fragrant offering. He's really relating it to the Old Testament when they had to bring their sacrifices before the Lord. Now, they had to do it in a very specific way. God laid out very specifically, you must sacrifice in this way. If you want to read through the Old Testament, you can find out all the specifics that they had. It's it's quite a few. When we had Cain and Abel, remember Cain and Abel uh, back in Genesis? One of them brought a sacrifice to the Lord that was accepted, and the other one brought a sacrifice to the Lord that wasn't accepted. Why was one accepted and one not? Because one followed God's prescription for the sacrifice, the other person did not. For in 1 Samuel 13, King Saul offered up this sacrifice that he was supposed to wait for Samuel, but he said, I don't want to wait anymore, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And that sacrifice was not pleasing to God. This Philippian church, how encouraging it would be to know that the sacrifice that they're making, sacrifice spiritual but also physically that they were making was acceptable to God. We'll we'll get to there in a second. Sorry. The Philippians were a young church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 and 2 talks about how they are a church that were in extreme poverty. Out of that extreme poverty they gave with generosity. A tremendous act of faith. And, And it takes faith to give out of our poverty. Does it not? To give not knowing if you, where your meal, next meal might come from. It takes great faith to give out of our abundance as well. But when you think about the Philippian church and the impact Paul had in their lives, when he, they had the opportunity, they said he's in need, I believe that the conversation probably went more of how can we help him, how can we encourage and bless him, versus should we encourage him. I'm guessing this great love that they had for one another, there was not the question of should we do something, but it was more of how much should we give? What can we do to encourage him? They gave faithfully. And as you see in this verse, verse 18, he says, Paul says, I received full payment and more. How did he receive more when this is a church giving out of their poverty? They gave of their resources, money. They also gave one of their own in Epaphroditus. He went out there to encourage Paul. Their faithful giving was according to what God has called them to do as believers. Their goal to give to Paul, this is just a wonderful thing that we see here, was not just to meet his needs. They didn't say, Let me just, let's just give him enough that will just help him to get by. Because they provided for him and more. I believe that their attitude was that of, I don't want to just help him get by. It was, I want to show the love of Christ in my giving. The gift that God has given me in Jesus, that's how I want to give. And that's why they ended up giving him more than what he even needed. What a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And this reminds me of Mark chapter 12. Jesus was watching people putting money in the offering box. I think we should do that here at church. We're like, I can, I'll go like this. When the offering plates are coming by, I'm like, wait, they didn't give. Can you pass it down again? Let's, I'm watching, like watching everybody, making sure. That probably wouldn't go so well. 
We probably shouldn't start that up. Don't worry, we're not going to do that. But here's Jesus sitting there watching people put money in the offering box. I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And then all these people are coming in with large sums of money. These rich people are coming in. They're dropping money in the offering box. And then he's just watching them go by and go by and go by. And then all of a sudden, a widow comes. And this widow has two small copper coins amounting to about a penny. And when she puts those in, Jesus brings the disciples over. So many people have brought in large sums of money, right? He could have been like, wow, that's a lot of money. Hey, guys, look at them. That was a ton. No, but it's when that widow drops in her two mites, her two copper coins, that he calls the disciples over. He says, disciples, look at this. Watch this. He says, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That was the mark. It wasn't the amount that was given. It wasn't the, the, the resources, weren't the focus of the attention. It wasn't the focus of Jesus' heart. It wasn't about how much is given or how little is given. It was the heart behind the gift. There's a reason why we skipped over verse 17, because I wanted us to focus on the type of giving that's to be the mark of a faithful believer. Before we start looking about what we might receive, we need to focus our attention on what we are giving, how we are giving. What's our heart behind it? Because when we give in that way, we'll see our spiritual fruit increase. This great book, Jamie Dunlop says this, the faith behind your actions matters because of the statement that it makes about God. Think about the statement that it made about her God, that widow who gave in all she had. It wasn't about the amount of money, but what do you think she believed about God? Think about your giving. What is the statement that you are making about your God by the giving that you'd use, by what you give away? We give, and we see this, that we receive uh, we see that not only I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, this is where things might start to not make sense. We might get it now, but in their giving away, it says that they increased in credit. We have these banking terms here, giving away and receiving in, in verse uh, 15. Then we have this, as you give away, it's like, I don't seek the fruit that, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. It doesn't quite make a lot of sense. The giving away, but yet you're receiving something. In Acts 20, 35, it says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Any of you who have taken math past first grade, you know that when you give away something, you're not receiving. If I give you $100, I have $100 less. I'm not receiving anything back. So in what world can this statement be true? That when you give away, you are increasing something to yourself. It can only be true if your giving is a spiritual act. Have you ever thought of it that way? That if you are giving or if you are not giving to the gospel work, that that is a spiritual thing that you are doing. We tend to look at dollars and cents and just maybe think of them as dollars and cents the physical, material, outside the bounds of spiritual things. 
The counseling and preaching is spiritual, but money and finances, that's different. It's material. But that's not the case. When we sort through the budget for the year, that is an incredible spiritual thing that we're doing. Is it not? Because as we're sorting through things, as we're looking at what might, line might increase or decrease in our budget, that means something's increasing for that gospel work or something might be dis- decreasing for that gospel work, right? Because what we're giving towards is gospel ministry. So in putting a budget together, when looking at the finances, when looking at our giving, it is undoubtedly spiritual what we're doing. It is a God-ordained thing for us to give, to use the money wisely, to be good stewards of what we have. But it's spiritual. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We see this contrast of the person who says, I'm going to store up for me treasures on earth. This money and all my stuff that I have, all my possessions, it's for me. It's all mine. It's for the the physical world here. Comparing with the person who's storing up treasures in heaven must be somebody who's giving away, who is sharing with what they have. And then we have the ultimate example in Matthew chapter 19. When Jesus is talking to that rich young ruler, do you remember this story? The rich young ruler, he's coming at Jesus and saying, hey, what must I do to be saved? I want to come follow you. And Jesus said, okay, well, are, are you perfect? I mean, do you have, have you, don't murder, don't lie, you know, and going through the, the Ten Commandments and the guy's like, I've, I've completed all that. Yes, I am perfect. I, I've, I've never, never lied ever in my life. I can fo- come follow you. But then Jesus, as he always does, goes for the heart and he said to him, he says, well, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor. Remember, this is the rich young ruler. He says, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Do you remember what that rich young ruler did? He walked away sorrowful, saddened. Why? Because he had great possessions. He had a lot. He wasn't willing to give. And that cost him following Jesus because the stuff in his life had such a hold on his heart that he loved it more than he loved Jesus. Makes you wonder if Jesus asked this of me. (laughs) He said, sell everything you have, come follow me. Would I be willing to do that? Going back to verse 17. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He brings the right perspective here. It's not about the gift. It's, it's not about the amount. Again, it's, it's about the fruit that he sees in their life. And we, need to, we need to picture this with me. Paul is over here. He's speaking to the Philippians. He's preaching to them. He's sharing the gospel with them. He's having a great impact in their lives. And he's talking to them. He has to talk to them about giving. He has to talk to him about that, because if you're talking about Jesus who gave all, you have to talk about giving. So he's telling the church, he's preaching to them, and then he says, okay, now I'm going to go to these other towns, and I'm going to share the gospel with them. And so as he's going to these other towns, we learn about him in verses 10 through 13, how he's learning to be content. So he's going without. His supplies are getting low. He's finding out what it is to be in need, what it, where it is to, to be in want and not having very much. He's in prison currently as he's writing to them. 
So as he's over here just focusing on, I need to be content. Lord, help me to be content with what you provided for me. And then this gift comes. Can you imagine? He's not sitting over here in prison thinking, man, they better, what's taking them so long on their gifts? They know I'm in need. Come on, I'm waiting for it. That's not where his focus is. Because remember, he's focusing on trying to be content with what he has, with what God has provided for him. So when that gift comes, he receives it not as finally, it's about time. He receives it and says, they got it. They understood. When I was over there preaching to them the good news of Christ, they're generous. I know they don't have much, and yet they're bringing Epaphroditus with these gifts to me. I have more than what I wanted and what I really even need. I'm in abundance now. It's like, praise the Lord for them. They're showing spiritual fruit. They're showing that they love Jesus by giving of what they have. And you can see the tension in Paul's voice as we look at 10 through the end of the chapter. He says, I rejoice you revived your concern for me. I'm so thankful for this gift. Then he goes back to, but I'm learning to be content. I'm being content in everything. And then he goes back in verses 14 through 16 and says, but thanks for the gift. Then he goes back in verse 17, but I'm learning to be content. I don't seek the gift. But then he goes back, but thanks for the gift, right? You see this tension that he has of, I know in my heart, I need to be content with what I have. But on the other end too, he's like, that gift was so wonderful. Not wonderful because of what I received, because I'm learning to be content. It was wonderful because it shows you love Jesus. (laughs) You're demonstrating your faith in Christ through this gift, how awesome is that? We have that great blessing uh, for being here for 14 years now, just seeing teens grow up through, uh, you know, our teenage years, and you're like, there's no hope for them. <laughs> Sometimes you might think that way, but then they grow up, and now they're in our church, and they're serving, and they're serving in Calvary Kids, and they're serving in uh, the kitchen committee, they're serving in a variety of ways, and it's not that it, I, I'm rejoicing because of what they are doing, but it's like, they got it. They understand Jesus. They're, they're showing fruit of their faith, which is a tremendous thing to see. As they're learning and learning and growing, it's just a, such a joyful thing as any pastor would have to see that you're loving God, to see that you're showing fruit. It's just a, a wonderful blessing. So there's fruit that will increase to you. But we give trusting God for our physical needs. Trusting God. What has God given you that, or maybe I should say, what have you done or what do you have that has not been given to you by God? Think about all your possessions, 401ks, bank accounts, whatever it might be there. You might say, well, I've, I work hard. I put in the effort. I put in the sweat. So what I have, I earned. But who gives you breath in your lungs every day? <laughs> who says how many days you have? Is it not God? God gives. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. All of it. The Philippians were giving out of their poverty. They were no doubt concerned if they were going to make it. Paul encourages them in this verse. He says, don't worry, God will supply your needs. Now, before you think that this is one of those name it and claim it passages, 
where you can just say, oh, if I give away $100, this means that God's going to give me back 200 Or if you just have enough faith and give and give, like some prosperity gospels might be preaching, God's going to give you more. Is that what he says here? Think about what Paul means when he says that God will provide for what you need. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Paul's idea of what is a need might be a little bit different than what we might think is a need. I've heard this many times. It says, God will supply our needs, not our greeds. So we need to say, as, as he's saying here in this passage, he's saying, be generous, give without worrying about what's coming back to you. You don't need to worry about what you might receive. He's like, just focus on giving. Focus on being generous with what you have. What you have given to me, as Paul is saying, is just such an incredible blessing, enabling me to go and share Christ with so many other people. He's like, don't worry about your needs. God will supply that. Now, we as Christians, we don't really need any help desiring more, right? That's not something we need to work on. It's desiring more money, more stuff for ourselves. That seems to be a lot of where our focus might be. What we as Christians need to work on is having a generous, sacrificial, giving heart. That's where our, that's where our uh, needs lie and what we need to work on. Not on what we're going to get back, what we're going to get in return. The, the focus of that verse is just saying, give as you have given. It's like, don't worry, my God will supply your needs. Don't worry. Don't have that in the back of your mind thinking, should I or shouldn't I? Will God help me? We should be trusting God with everything that we have. We need to keep our attention focused on how we can give to gospel ministry, not on how we'll be reimbursed. It's according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. As a faithful believer, as we give, sometimes we do receive back. Sometimes people are generous with us. And what a blessing that is. And as you're faithfully giving and and receiving back, guess what? What are you going to do if you're a faithful believer As he does here, he says, you're going to turn all praise and all glory to God. You're not going to be like, finally, or good. Yeah, I I earned that. I deserve that. He says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. In regards to this giving and receiving, about being content with what he has, but thankful for the gift, he said, all praise and glory go back to God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about how much I receive or how much I don't receive. It's about praise and glory going to the God talked about giving out of poverty, but also maybe you're, you think of yourselves not as a state of poverty. And you think, I have, I'm abundant, or I, I'm doing well. Well, in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the challenge for rich and for poor and for everyone in the middle, it's be generous. It's to share with one another, to encourage one another with gifts, with, uh, with love, with opportunities that you have to serve one another. It's a call for everyone. doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have. The reason we can do this is because of Christ, what we're going to be looking to in communion here in a minute.
It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Why do we worry? Why do we fear about what might be coming to us? God has given us everything we need in Christ. He has given us everything. He gave up his only son so that we can be saved. And as you have Christ as a Christian, if you know Jesus, then you can give as well. We have this wonderful model, not just in God the Father, but also in Jesus. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. King of kings and Lord of lords, coming down from heaven, giving up everything, be born in a stable, living a perfect life, and dying on the cross, taking our sin and our shame. <laughs> the king of kings put up on a cross made for only the worst of people, taking that for us. As he has given us so much, he gave us his life, he gave up his riches so that we can have his riches, so that we can have the righteousness of Christ. He gave up everything. Why are we holding back what we have? And this is why we give. We must give because we believe the gospel. We believe not only that it's still powerful to save, but we also believe the gospel in our own lives that we're going to grow in our love for the Lord. We're going to grow in our love for Jesus Christ as we think about communion. We're going to grow in our love for Jesus and what he gave and how he gave everything. Are we a people that still believe God saves? Amen? Are you a people that believe that God's working in your life? Amen? So we give as a reflection of it. The more that we grow in our love for Jesus, the more faithful we're going to be in our giving. As I close in prayer, I'm going to invite the deacons to come up and we'll share in communion together. Let's pray. Lord, it is difficult sometimes to give. It is. It's hard because we have this, this hold on us of the earthly, the material possessions. It's hard to give. But Lord, help us. Help us have a giving heart. Help us to be more and more like Christ. Help us to give out a reflection of a love for what you have shown us. Help us to show that kind of love, that kind of generosity to others. May we give of ourselves, of our lives. May we give of our finances. May we give uh, of the possessions that you have blessed us with, that you have given. May we be good stewards of what we have. May we give faithfully, sacrificially, because we believe that you are at work, not just in our lives, but you are still powerful to save. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.